Mind Your Business is all about building your personal capacity. Personal capacity is what is needed for you to grow in your career, make great decisions, and become a person of influence. So sit back and enjoy this content as I share with you insights and stories, examples, and personal challenges designed to do one thing, build your capacity to change your world. When I was a little boy, everybody loved the mailman, the guy that delivered the mail to our house. His name was Joe. Joe was a fantastic guy, and he drove this little mail jeep. And every day, Joe would come by. We'd run over. We'd say hi to Joe. We'd beg Joe to take us for a ride in his mail jeep. But he couldn't. He'd say, no, boys, I can't take you for a ride. I'm like, well, please take us for a ride in the jeep. And he always said no. Well, one day in the middle of the summer, I was all by myself. All the kids in the neighborhood had gone. I don't know where everybody was, but I was all by myself, and I saw Joe coming. And I thought, I got an idea. What if I climbed in the back of the Jeep and never told Joe a thing and then hid there, and he would have to take me for riding the Jeep? So I waited till Joe got out of the Jeep with the Jeep running. Now, this is 1970-something, right? The Jeep is running outside in the street, and he's delivering mail up to these houses. So while he was running up, I jumped in the Jeep snuck into the back and hid real low behind the seat. I remember he jumped in the seat and he put the, put it in gear and started driving. He was whistling and singing the song. And I started thinking, uh-oh, what if he takes me all the way downtown to the post office? Man, I'm going to be in real trouble. And then at the last second, before he left the neighborhood, he backed in to one of my neighbor's driveways. And it was a long driveway. It was straight, but it was long. And it was a big brick house. And I thought, oh, here's my chance. So I jumped up into the seat from where I was behind him. I jumped into his seat, and I started moving around the steering wheel, and I pulled down the lever and somehow pulled it from park into reverse, and it started moving. And I didn't know how to stop it. Hell, I was like six or seven years old. And that Jeep is starting to move, and it's starting to pick up pace, and we're going. I start yelling, and wham, I drove that male Jeep straight into that house, (laughs) right into the bricks. So the bricks were all caved in. And so the car stopped in that guy's garage, all broken down on me. It's a mess. And Joe comes running out, starts yelling at me. The homeowner comes out, and Joe's yelling at me. I know he's, you know, now I know that he's probably going to get fired. And it's chaos. And the owner of the house comes out and says, don't worry, Mark. It's going to be okay. So I ran home and didn't say a word to my parents. My mom and dad said, hey, do you want to go to the store? I said, yeah, I want to go to the store. So we all jumped in the station wagon and drove across town to the brand new store called Kmart. And we went in Kmart and I looked at the hamsters and we shopped for this, that, and the other. And when we came home, my brother opened the door and he looked at me and he pointed at me and said, you are in big trouble. The police had been to our house, the insurance people, the people from the federal government that represent the the uh, Postal Service, and I had never said a word to my mom and dad about it. They never found out. Oh, yeah. They were standing there when my brother, they had all been to my house that day to say, we need to talk to this little boy who drove a mail jeep into a house. And so it just goes, what happened that was so crazy is that they didn't sue me, and they the, the homeowner wanted somebody's insurance to pay for the damage. And the Postal Service had the same insurance company as our insurance company. 
So they were trying to figure out whose insurance do you put it on my mom and dad's, but I'm not a licensed driver. I'm seven years yeah. old. And do you put it on the other guy's insurance? Well, I caused the accident. It was his house. So no one wanted to pay for it. To this day, I still have no idea who paid for the repair <laughs> of the house. But when you go by that neighborhood, you can see still where the old brick is and where the new brick is. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. <laughs> I want the address. That's the kind, that. kind of little boy I was. <laughs> well, at seven years old, that's the year you can get away with stuff. You can, but I remember I, I came to school that next day, and there's my friend uh, Lisa. And she, as soon as I walked in, she was like, Mark drove a mail Jeep into a house. you know. And I, I was all upset. I don't know why I was upset. It was no big deal. I mean... And you didn't you can, have to pay for it. I don't know. I have absolutely no idea who paid for that. I was seven. So who knows where that, when that event happened, the trajectory that that puts you on for the yeah. rest of your life. Like if that didn't happen, it's possible that you would never, you wouldn't be here right now. I would affected, not. I, I don't know. It affected you almost none, but it might, it probably affected you a lot. You have no idea what, how those kinds of events might have changed who you are as a person, yeah. how well you handle criticism, how you tell the truth or hide things. I mean, I don't know. But it shows the risk taker in you as well. <laughs> yeah, the risk or maybe the playful, the determination. <laughs> My golly, I wanted to ride. I wanted to ride that gene. Here's the sad thing. Joe remained our mail carrier in our neighborhood for at least 10 more years. But from that day on, he had to park the mail Jeep at the end of the block and walk his route from then on. All because of you. And I know he had to look every time he saw me and say, there's that little son of a gun who caused me. I'm surprised he kept his job, honestly. I am too. (laughs) But he kept his job, but then they had to shut off the Jeep, take, get out, pack his bag and walk door to door to door and then pick up his Jeep and move it one more block over. Man. Well. There you go. That's that's good. That's, that's a good story. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've got a million of those. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll hear a lot more of those in, in these podcasts to come. <laughs> so let's go ahead and dive in. Emily and I, we drew up some questions for you. Um, the first one we want to we want to talk about entre- being an entrepreneur. Okay, you're a serial entrepreneur. You have tons of advice for people. What? Why is it that being an entrepreneur sounds so appealing to people to the millennial generation? Because among my friend group, or not even just my inner circle, everybody that I'm around, it's like the new thing to say you're an entrepreneur. Even if you have a job somewhere else, if you're working in construction, if you're a trash man, a mailman, you've, you're an entrepreneur because you've got that side YouTube channel that you're, you're beefing up trying to get money. So what, what do you think it is about being an entrepreneur that makes everybody want to be, be one? You know, a couple of things that have happened recently in the news are very interesting. Like this morning I was listening to the news and they were talking about how few of new job starts happened in January of 2018. They were expecting 185,000 job starts and it's like 128,000 new job starts in the nation and there's just not that many jobs. And they were pointing to these big these big uh, warehouses where people, young people, are leaving jobs in like retail and going to a warehouse where they're fulfilling requests for shipment. And they're talking about how few jobs are occurring. The other thing that happened is that we just made a change in our tax code that allows big corporations to have more retained earnings. I mean, they have more money at the end of the year. And so a lot of the uh, news media have been asking owners, are you going to give employees pay raises? And the owners have been saying, no, we're going to give more money to the shareholders. 
And this is a perfect indication of the problem that we're going through that impacts the millennials. The millennial generation does not believe there's room at the top of the economy for their generation. They believe that my generation and the generation before took all the land, all the equipment, all the opportunities, all the big jobs and make all the money. And they call him the man. You know, that's that's the man. I don't want to work for the man. Well, I am the man. I mean, I didn't start out the man. You know, I started out, my first company I owned, I cleaned windows. Then I bought another company with a friend that we owned an ultrasonic blind cleaning company. I started as an entrepreneur at about 20 years old. Okay. So I've been a serial entrepreneur starting with nothing. And so I understand how hard it is to break past the the paper mache barrier that gets you into corporate America. It's very difficult. What if you're an average college student, you're a B student or a C student, and you can't get a job at the big oil company or at the big bank or the big manufacturer? What if you don't get to grow, go to graduate school? You know, so there are those of us that weren't great students coming out of undergrad that really had no choice but to become an entrepreneur because the job market was just terrible. Now, the reason it's different now is that the job market is not terrible because there's so many, so few millennials trying to get into the job market. The job market is not terrible because we need labor. Yet, at the same time, there are fewer jobs. And the jobs are stuck at the bottom. I think the millennial generation want to be entrepreneurs because they're just sick and tired of working for somebody else and seeing them get rich. The reality is, Jordan, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur on a super snowy, wet day when the owner of the store I was working in opened up the back and he said, Mark, Mark, come out here and carry all this stuff. And I had to go out in my dress shoes that I had spent tons of money and carry his shit out of the back of his his Mercedes through that slushy, wet Oklahoma snow into the back, and I just ruined my shoes. And I I was doing all this for like $3.75 an hour plus commission. And he was wearing red alligator loafer dress shoes and scooted off in and had me do all the work. And I was like, all right, that's it. That guy's the man. I know now what the man is. If he's the man, I'm going to be the man. And I'm willing to pay the prices to price to get there. Yeah, that makes sense. It just – one thing, it's – in our society today, people my age – I'm 26 years old and I was telling you this earlier. I, I changed my Gmail signature from just saying Jordan Evans to Jordan Evans Entrepreneur. Had it on there. I was feeling good about it because I'm an entrepreneur. You know, I'm aspiring. I have a small business. But for some reason, when I sent that first email, I couldn't help but feel like it was – a douchey thing to do to have my email signature say entrepreneur because the society and people like me and people around me and my peers that view that as oh you're one of those guys that says you're an entrepreneur but you don't make any money and I don't want to be that I want to be I do want to be an entrepreneur but I don't want to have to tell people I'm an entrepreneur but a successful entrepreneur started just exactly where you're at mm-hmm. and it has to start somewhere yeah you know yeah it's just so many people are entrepreneurs, quote-unquote, today, it's just crazy. Everybody has a side hustle. Everybody. And that is what makes them you know, believe that they are an entrepreneur. And so I just, okay, I just let, think let's that talk that's about Think about it. If you, live in, if you live in Denver or San Francisco or New York or someplace in Dallas, you've got to have a, a side hustle just to survive. The cost of an, an apartment is $1,300, $1,700, $2,700 a month just for a damned apartment. 
So having a side hustle is not necessarily always just, um, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. Part of it is the necessity of where certain people live. I mean, this, you're in a generation that's having, it's kind of being thrown into having to control your own financial income. You know, you're really having to control it because the cost of living is so high. Uh, people that own apartment complexes continue to just raise the rate because they can get it. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's a tough time to be 26 years old and in the marketplace with a first or a second job. So do you feel like anybody could be an entrepreneur? I really do. And the reason I feel that is because the, the if you did a study and you said, these are the characteristics of an entrepreneur, I think that's just a pile of crap. Because... The characteristics of an entrepreneur are not necessarily personality characteristics. They're not necessarily work ethic person- characteristics. They're not intelligence characteristics. They're a unique combination of any of those. And so, well, like I say, when, when I'm trying to teach somebody how to sell, never sell like you're trying to be me. Sell like you're trying to be you. People, people don't know who you are, but they do know when you're not being authentic. They know when you're not being you. So... Um, I think anybody could be an entrepreneur if they love what they do, if they're super passionate about what they do. And passion doesn't have to be a gregarious passion, like, oh, my God, I love this. It could be I, you could be a demonstration of how much you love what you do by your commitment to excellence. Somebody could be a super quiet entrepreneur and do really well, a very melancholy, very quiet person, and they could do very, very well. Another person can be super gregarious and crazy and fun and laugh and make all sorts of social miscues and do really well. I mean, what you have to do is, as an entrepreneur, you have to be true to who you are. You can't be somebody else. For example, you know, Jordan, you and I have been talking about, you know, do you take an idea and do you franchise it? Well, not every person is going to be successful according to the franchise model that you might create because that might not fit their personality. Every person has to either start or acquire a a business that really fits who they are. That's really it's really genuine, because, like I say, people don't know when when you're telling the truth, but they do know when you're lying mm-hmm. because they can see it. They can see the lack of comfort. And I think that's probably the struggle with entrepreneurs is trying to be true to yourself. And be unique, but at the same time, you see other people that are being successful that have kind of a business model that has worked. And so you, I could see the struggle about trying to be yourself, but also be like another successful group. So, so let's say I'm walking down the street and I bump into somebody and I, I, I finally meet somebody and they've been a very successful. I knew who they were, and I think they were instantly successful. How come that doesn't happen to me? Because when we see somebody else, we see where they are today. We don't see how they started. And there's not anybody that's a successful entrepreneur that didn't start with with zero. No sales, no opportunity. They started at zero and built it from something. And no one's paying attention to the entrepreneur when they're just getting started. They pay attention when they're really taking off. And so it looks like the other person is radically successful overnight. You know, we kind of laugh Somebody became an instant millionaire, but it took them 10 years to get there. You know, that's, that's yeah. the idea. You don't become an instant success. Mm-hmm. Success might go real, real slow for a while, and then all of a sudden just takes off in year eight. And so it looks like you're an instant success, but you weren't. The thing that I have as an advantage at my age now is that 
I've already made so many mistakes. I know how what things not to do, and I know what things to do. So I, I leverage my past experiences to become successful faster. Does that make right. sense? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think maybe the draw is that someone's successful now, it makes it they make it look easy. And mm-hmm. you don't necessarily see the background work that it took, like slopping through the snow and carrying someone else's shit to the car. Yeah. Yeah. But there's hard work that... that In almost every case, there's some entrepreneur that can point back to a day where he can see it or she can see it in their mind. Then they said, I'll never do this again. And for me, it was that guy getting out of his Mercedes in those red shoes that cost more than my monthly salary. And him saying, Mark, get all this stuff out of the Mercedes, then go park it and bring it back. And I ruined my shoes that I had spent weeks or months saving for. You know, and I was furious. So I said to my best friend, Mark, his name was Mark also, I said, let's don't do this. What are we going to do? He goes, well, I've been cleaning windows in Denver for a couple of years. I'll teach you how if you'll do all the marketing. I'm like, all right, let's go. So we kept our job for a few more months, got materials out on the market, and we just figured it out. We just bucked up and got after it. So did you feel passionate about window cleaning, or did you just feel passionate about the idea of being an entrepreneur? I never, no, I didn't feel window cleaning. There's nothing passionate about window cleaning. Now, there's something passionate about it now. I didn't know when I first started a window cleaning company that I would love window cleaning, but the thing about it is when you stand back at the end of the day and you look at the job and it's beautiful and everyone's happy and at the end of the day you get to wrap up the whole thing and put a bow on it and go home with the check, that's great. And I, I always loved that part of window cleaning is that you get you get closure, you get completeness at the end of the day and you get paid. However, what I didn't ever like is once you do a job once, that you don't you're not guaranteed any more revenue out of that. Like what I do now, as soon as we close a piece of business, we're going to get money every month for years. That's what I'm looking at. That's the kind of thing I like to do. I like that recurring residual revenue. So you build something, it it pays you well right away, but it pays you great over time. That's why, you know, that's why I'm a more successful entrepreneur now is because I know I don't want to go do that because that I work really hard to get paid once. I want to go do these three things where I get paid pretty well, but every month. Every month. I love it. I just went in my office. There's a check on my desk. I'm thrilled. I'm like, I walk in. I'm like, awesome. Here's a check right there. Then I open it up, look inside, see what the amount is. I'm like, that's fantastic. You know, that mailbox money is what I focus on completely, is what can I do today that's going to continue to pay me over and over and over and over without end? I think that's probably why we see a lot of the, uh, what do they call it, multi-level marketing going on. Yeah, like pyramid Lipsense schemes. And, yeah. and Arbonne, and uh, I've been involved in a few of them, you know, because you do get that residual income based on, you know, the team you build and, and all that stuff, and you just get a check in the mail. So I want to, so you said, so you do believe that anybody can be an entrepreneur, and you attribute that to, I can't remember, you said that as long as they have the desire to, or the passion. You say, yeah, as I long mean, as they have the passion of what they want to be right. an entrepreneur. If they're passionate, and passionate to everybody is different. Think about passionate to you is different than passion would be to, and you know, and just think about anybody else. You and I exhibit passion differently. Mm-hmm. 
take your partner, Seth. He exhibits passion by getting up early and focusing on detail, by downloading, by reading, by bringing to the team uh, notes on how the very best do it. Mm -hmm. He doesn't do passion by jumping up and down on the table, screaming and yelling and having a cheering session. Mm -hmm. He does it by handing out notes or giving content. That's passion. Um, Passion is uh, thinking about, okay, at the end of every Every time we do something, let's examine how did we do and find a better way to do it. Yesterday, we were sitting right in this meeting, and Perry, one of my partners, was talking about a presentation he's going to make in Cincinnati. And I said, when are you going to make a presentation to me in advance so we can critique it and we can make it better? So in my mind, if he's going to make 12 presentations, let's make one and let's have it evaluated. Let's get better and better and better and better. So if I'm going to do 12 presentations, as an example... I want somebody in the audience, every presentation to come up to me afterwards and say, these are the three things I didn't understand, and here's an example that didn't really connect with me. I want to know that Mm because I want to get to the 12th presentation, and I want to be kicking ass. Now, that's passion. If passion doesn't have to be screaming and yelling and, and running around like an idiot, passion might be intensely looking at ways to get better. That's passion. The other thing about that is you don't have to be a genius to get to be awesome at number 12 if you started at number one and got better every time. Some people think, oh, I'm going to have come up with this great idea. It was a magic idea. How did they come up with that? Well, maybe they started with a terrible idea, and every time they listened to the audience and iterated, in other words, empathy, listening, and iteration, making changes, empathy and iteration, empathy and iteration, empathy and iteration, just keep adjusting and tweaking it. You guys, you know that's what you do in your business. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So passion is the the secret sauce. So why, in your opinion, what is it about, like I said earlier, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Everybody is technically. They have a side hustle thing that they do to make their own income. They want to get out from under the man's umbrella. Why do they fail? Why do If I'm an entrepreneur, what, what's the reason that I'm going to fail? Well, okay, so there's a couple of reasons. And let's start with, let me just examine two real common ones. Rule number, people fail because they don't give it enough time to be successful. They think they're going to be instantly successful. It's just like um, why we have so much debt is they don't want to wait to save money to buy something. They want it immediately, so they buy it on debt. People have that same instant gratification mentality, and they say, man, I tried something. It didn't work for a whole month. Well, yeah, no shit, it didn't work for a whole month. It's probably going to take 10 months to get it going. But are you willing to do what others are not so that on month 10, you've got something really special? Okay, number two, people aren't successful because they get diverted in their attention. Now that, remember I just a second ago said empathy and iteration, Empathy and iteration, in other words, listen to the market and then make adjustments. Listen to the market and make adjustments. But some people are like that silly little dumb dog that, that is looking at you and they go, oh, squirrel, and they run off chasing some new squirrel. You know, you guys know that I tried something with a group of people a year ago and I lost. we lost a lot of money Okay, on this project. Now, we're going to pick it back up and we're going to go with what we've learned. But the problem was is that the partners that were running the entity and we were investors, they were diverted by everything that came along and they were constantly diverted so they got nothing done. So mm-hmm. you've got to focus on getting the job done and making slight adjustments. you got to have a passion that says, 
I know this is going to work, and I'm going to keep pressing until we make it. But too many people go one month, they go, well, that didn't work. And then they think, I don't have what it takes to make it. No, you had the intellect, you had the passion for it, but you just didn't stay with it long enough. I guess it's good that it takes a while, like you have to be patient, because that's kind of what deters a lot of people from even trying. Or or it deters a lot of people from going the distance. There may be have been 30 people that have started the first ever, I don't know, made business, but they gave up. And then that one person that stuck with it is the one who took the whole took all the winnings because they stuck out the the, the dry season. Okay, so I guess that's good. Let's use software as an example. There are you know, 10 software packages that I could name right now that you would know exactly what I'm talking about. Yet there, for every one that's super successful, there are probably 2,000 that put a lot of money into software and then died along the vine. Okay, so there are the people that are super successful are glad that others quit. And there are probably some better ideas than the software that's out there now that failed because people gave up. They get distracted. They gave up. If you're in business school, they will say that the lack of capital is why entrepreneurs fail because they run out of money before their idea makes it. In a lot of cases, it's it's really not the lack of capital. It's the proper use of capital. Okay, so a lot of people overspend or spend the wrong way. They They try to start something and they try to make it fabulous instead of making it really good. You know, really good is a good start. But if you're trying to make something fabulous before you even get started, you're going to fail because you're going to run out of money. Never let perfection be the enemy of accomplishment. Good advice. How do you know when, you know, you're you're going along and it's slow? And is there a time that you just need to say, I'm done, this isn't working? Are there clear indicators for that or... Is it just that you just listen to your gut? Yeah, yeah. What if somebody's on the opposite end? Like you said, people aren't patient. But what if you're what if you're the guy that is patient and you keep dumping money into a business that's bound to fail? But you how do you know when to? But quit? you've taken you know. Yeah. What if somebody takes your advice and just sticks with the company, giving it more and more time until eventually they have absolutely nothing? So yeah, like what's your, the answer to that question? If when do you know? It's no longer just a fact that you're impatient, but it's just a fact that your company or your idea yeah. has failed. I've, I've had two really good failures in my career, and one of them happened in 2000. In 2000, I bought a car dealership, and I had no car dealership experience, but I bought it with a guy that didn't have experience and a partner that had a lot of experience. So um, I was the money behind the deal, and there was another guy that the other two guys were going to run the thing. So our first month, we lost money. Second lost money, we lost a little less. Third month, we lost half of what we did the first month. And on the fourth month, it looked like we were going to break even, and that looked like fantastic. That was fantastic. I'm so excited we were going to break even in month four, and then we were off and running, make money the rest of our lives. And that was September of 2001. And on 9-11, the airplanes hit the World Trade Center, and the Trade Centers came down, and everybody stopped buying cars. And include, what happened was the, the big three, 
Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler had contracts with unions in which they guaranteed the union a certain amount of production. They had to pay the union employees whether they did or did not make cars. So they were offering vehicles, brand new vehicles, for seven years financing at 0% interest. Mm -hmm. So how would a guy like me, an individual guy, selling BMWs, Hondas, Mercedes, Acura, all the imports, in fact, that a company that was specialized in imports, how do I compete against the big three? They're giving the cars away. I lost so much money that fall that I was literally panicking. And when I had a chance to get out, I did. It was a failure. I had, I knew by everything, when looking at every decision criteria going into it, it looked like I could not fail. And then later in it, there was no indication that I could succeed before I ran out of money. So I cut my losses and I closed the shop and sold everything. And I lost money, but... Fortunately, that year, I had made enough money on something else that I was able to kind of wash those. It, it turned out pretty good because the loss of the car dealership against the gain on a publicly traded company I worked for was an even, was an even deal. So it didn't kill me financially. But I had, to, I had to look. Do I cut my losses before I ruin my family? So, when, so in other words, you'll know when it's time to... You'll bury know. the hatchet. Or. You'll know. I mean, and it, you'll pr- you'll probably know a month after the perfect time to get out. You know, you, you'll mm-hmm. if you're a real entrepreneur, you stay in there a while. But there are also stories of people that they stuck it out, they stuck it out, they stuck it out. They came down to the last five thousand dollars in their whole life. They begged, borrowed, stole, sold everything they had, and then it it took off. You know, so you don't want to give up, mm-hmm. but sometimes. Sometimes there's just no chance of success. One thing I, I definitely want to ask you, I know that you've talked about this topic before, college versus no college education for an entrepreneur. Do you think it's different case to case? Uh, let's start with you. What do, you do you attribute your education, you're a very academic person, do you attribute that to the reason you're successful or is it just something that plays into your passion, like you said. You have passion to continue to grow your personal capacity. Do you think you could be where you are today without all of the school and education and certificates that you have? I really feel like if I had no education at all, I could still be as successful as I am today. I would just be doing something different. Okay. Okay. Uh, Education for me was all about a personal need to build confidence in myself and in what I do. Education for me was all about personal development, not necessarily income, okay? And so the personal development has led me to have more opportunities in business because I see things, I understand things, I can communicate things better than had I had no education. The one thing about business is there's a lot of resources available to you that allow you to learn You can't become a surgeon without going to school because there are really no books that can teach you how to do a surgery. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of books and advice pieces by authors that can teach you a lot of lessons if you're willing to read them, if you're willing to do the work. Mm -hmm. My sister, as you know, is one of the best business people I know, and she put up with college for maybe six weeks before she said, this is stupid, and walked out and never went back. Mm -hmm. She is smart, and she is talented. I don't know that a PhD would help her in any way be a better business person. Okay. She's just, she just has it. She's got it. 
Okay. I'm not sure what it is. That He's girl's got it. got it. Whatever it is. Okay. Yeah, because a lot of people have this desire that are entrepreneurs to go back to school, continue learning, and I have none of that. And I, you know, I've wondered because you're obviously an entrepreneur and you, most serial entrepreneur, you have tons of education. You're continually going and taking courses, but I have not a bone in me that wants to do that. So okay, but think about it's it. It's refreshing to hear you think say about that's all right. Post, post-doctorate, what have I done? I went, I, I went to a law school and got my mergers acquisitions license so I could buy companies and understand how to value companies, how to, how to acquire them properly, how to know what their value is, how to leverage private capital sources of, of uh, you know, money. Uh, that's really, that was really something to help me grow. And then the next thing I did is the innovation program at Stanford. So that was really exciting. And the reason I went there is because technology was leaving me behind. I'm 52, and I was starting to worry that pretty soon I wouldn't know anything about what was going on in a technology perspective. Now I feel really confident that I could run any kind of business, even a technology business that is, um, that's, you know, that's, that's important or exciting to me. And in, here's in watch Jonathan Pinto. Jonathan. Why, hello there. We're doing a little podcast. They surprised me and said, come on, we got to talk about this podcast. Come so, on in. We're um, finding away questions. Jonathan is, is become, radically becoming a serial entrepreneur as well. <laughs> Jonathan, I'm going to wrap up with this, and I'll just take over. What's the hardest thing that you go through in starting a brand-new business? The hardest thing that you go through in starting a brand-new business is probably – Making sure you have a good start. I mean, I say having a great start is making sure you're organized, getting everything in place. And for me, because being a serial entrepreneur, having it all over the place, keeping it organized so that everything's in place, that's the hardest. And money. I can't believe you didn't say it. I really thought you would say having the right people around you because you have 75 ideas in your head at one time and there's no chance you can do them all. Oh, and no, you can do don't. 74 of them, but you're you know, you're <laughs> one of the most talented people I've ever met. But yeah. I watch you and you're buried. You bury yourself in ideas yeah. and opportunities. That's Talk true. about people. So if you, I mean, it's easy to start as by yourself. And so when you're starting by yourself and you've got the ideas, it's great. You know, you're just thinking about yourself. You're thinking about your idea and how, how it goes. But like Mark, you said, if you're having 75 ideas, guess what? You can't, um, you can't really put pedal to the metal on all 75 all at the same time. So you have to have the right people in there to make sure that they are, one, geared and they're set up for success to what you want them, that you communicate well to what you need them to do and say, hey, here's the vision, here's the plan reach out and say, this is what is, I'm here to support you. Because guess what? The other thing is we're really good at coming up with ideas, but maybe we're not the people who put are in the trenches being able to actually carry out the plan. You may have the idea and it's a great idea, but then you have to hire the right people that number one, know how to carry out the vision that you have. But number two, they are also on your side and they are your advocate as much as you're their advocate they you they need to be your advocate as well because then you're in sync with each other and that's when you can really have good synergy and have really good success i think when you get busy enough there's got to be one person on your team that thinks like you 
Right. When you were first coming out of college, you were my right-hand man. You still are. You're awesome. We've been together almost 10 years now, Mm -hmm. and you are so smart. You knew exactly what I would have said in this situation. It might not have been what you said, but you knew exactly what Mark would have done in that case. And that's what made us so good in the early years building those companies. Right. That's true. Being a, having an extension of yourself, and that's why I call it. It's like a chief of staff, just an extension of who you are, extension of your universe. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Mind Your Business. Please check me out on Facebook and Instagram, and be sure to send me a message if there's something you need or want me to talk about. You know, the great motivational speaker Zig Ziglar once said, you can have anything in life you want as long as you help enough other people get what they want. What does that mean for you today? That means if there's something in this content that is exciting and really resonates with you, pass it along to your friends. Share it. Let them develop and become strong in their thinking, in their motivation, in their knowledge, just like you are. Together, knowledgeable, you and your friends will change the world.